Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Andrea Martins, Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Data-Driven Marketing and Advertising, aka ADMA. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Darren. Great to be here. Well, look, I I appreciate you making time because I know you have the busiest uh, calendar or diary that I've ever seen. But, you know, thanks for uh, making the time to sit down. I want to start our conversation with the idea of of understanding what ADMAR is because, look, from my experience, as long as I've been in marketing advertising, which is more than, let's say, three decades, um, ADMAR was always the place you would go for high-quality industry training and education. But it's actually a lot more than that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, whilst education absolutely remains a key pillar for ADMAR and increasingly so in terms of the last few years and as we look forward, it's key to the agenda, there's many more elements to what we do. Ultimately, we represent the industry on all matters of data and privacy, ensuring that as the government goes to make changes to the regulations that are forthcoming, that the industry's view is heard. And that's the industry's view from both a marketer's community, but also an advertiser's advertising agency community. So that's the regulatory pillar is, is key for us. And if we have a look at the regulatory agenda in 2021, we've got a really, really busy year ahead that's not going to be helping my calendar at all. <laughs> um, then, then the other element is around thought leadership, and that's bringing the global and the local best practice to the marketer in Australia, um, making sure that we really bring those insights from our global DMA network and fuel this market with those insights. There's some great learnings that we can take from bringing the global practices here um, and also some amazing work that is being done locally and bringing that to life, be that through content, be that through our events. Um, So so they're really the three pillars. It's around the regulatory, the thought leadership and then the education piece. Yeah, because you're absolutely right in regards to privacy. You know, we're seeing the big battles happening, you know, with Apple and Facebook and the like. And, you know, I think privacy is an issue that governments everywhere struggle with. You know, we've seen in the EU that they've taken uh, steps around uh, GDPR and and getting, you know, giving people permission. But it really is uh, quite a, a challenge. And I can imagine it would put a heavy burden on your organisation to represent all of the different perspectives. Absolutely. And I think the important piece there is, and you touched on the EU, um, is that it's not, whilst Australia is leading the way in some respects, um, there is there is a lot of insight to be gained from what's happening in California um, and obviously also in, in Europe and, um, and in the UK. And it's important to bring not only the representation of the local industry, but also have that foresight. And when we have a look at, for instance, the ADMAR Regulatory Working Group, we have those international representatives on there to make sure that we're looking at that step ahead. And so, yes, that is a bit of a 24-hour 24 24-hour 24 gig for the regulatory team as well as for myself. So um, it's key as we head through into 2021, the ACCC, whilst the rest of us have been dealing with COVID, um, the amount of submissions 
we're unprecedented. So very, very busy in that area. Well, you've raised the COVID issue and here we are at the early, the dawn of 2021. How was 2020 for Admar? Because I can imagine with such a, a broad, and, and you have the largest membership of any marketing yeah. association. Yeah, largest, you? we represent 600 brands. Um, so largest industry, so marketing industry association. And um, and so, yes, when we have a look at who our members are, it's the advertisers as well as the advertising agency and the media agencies. So across pretty well most industry verticals, which means that we actually do, you know, we could see in terms of what was happening and the challenges that they were facing were actually quite diverse in, in many, many ways. We're also dealing with large organisations as well as very small. And um, and so those challenges were, um, were different. However, there were some common threads that we saw. Um, at the end of the day, what we saw across every industry is the need for the CMOs and their teams to reinvent themselves really, really quickly. So having to understand what was happening with their customers, how they were communicating with their customers and how they were then going to continue to capture the audiences in that new environment. Um, so that's something that absolutely you do every day as a marketer, but all of a sudden the shift was completely unexpected and uh, it impacted pretty well every every audience. Um, what we also saw is that the role that marketers and advertisers played for businesses in terms of surviving through this time and making sure that they could get that message out there to continue to drive growth for their businesses, the focus came back on marketing in many, mm. many ways is you actually, what is the story we're going to tell to our, what, what is the story we're going to tell to our audiences? Um, if we if we think about you know what is going to reflect what our core proposition is, but also recognizing where our audiences are at the time, and how do we keep that authentic? How do we keep that really really real? Um, the data that was coming in was probably not as quick as essentially having the data come in and then actually being able to make the decisions and move forward. That agility was a real step change from what we'd seen in the past as well. Yeah, sorry, I was, yeah. I was just going to say, because it would be really interesting, um, and, and what you just uh, shared then made me realise that, you know, a lot of B2B uh, businesses that had traditionally relied heavily on sales and salespeople were completely sort of uh, at cross purposes because sales was one of the big things that got hit, you know, with uh, working from home and social distancing. Sales disappeared. So I think that was part of what put in B2B the emphasis back on marketing. How do we maintain relationships that had traditionally been in sales? In the B2C area, we saw this massive shift yeah, and people were saying it was like five years of digital transformation in six months yeah. where suddenly consumers are all running online yeah. to uh, to source and buy everything they needed. I, I imagine across the uh, diversity of your membership, you would have seen, you know, in some ways common threads but also very different challenges. Absolutely. On one hand, we're talking to the grocers around the fundamental shift they've had to make in their supply chain um, because ultimately everyone is moving online to buy their toilet paper and everything else that they were looking for. But then to your point with the with the B2B, you finding a way that your sales team can still connect and it actually then becomes very much a Zoom connection because the deluge of emails that all hit hit all of our inboxes very quickly 
became um, it, it, it became over, we were over uh, over inundated with it, yeah. and um, so it actually became personal connections through Zoom, which. I think if we we look back twelve months, that would have seemed um, really something that was not a way that you would engage with with those B two B customers. But now it's become the norm, um, which is interesting. It was interesting also how you know marketers who were often limited from what they could do from a technology point of view with the, you know the CIO or the IT department putting lockdowns suddenly you're given carte blanche to you know are we going to use Team or Zoom? Well, we'll go with Team because that's Microsoft or you know oh no we'll have to stick with Cisco because that's robust. Things like that opened up all these opportunities, didn't it? It was uh, if I think of Adma itself. We, the majority of our education was previously face-to-face. All of a sudden, within three days, we took the entire curriculum to virtual. So one, needed a platform. Two, needed to train, um, needed to train our instructors on how to deliver virtually because it's a very different experience, completely different experience. And at the same time, we had um, our team who were based in Barangaroo, we stepped them up and moved them all out and they were all 100% working from home. I think what we saw was a microcosm of what was happening everywhere else. And I didn't hear one complaint from IT at any point in time. There was, no, absolutely, we will do what what is needed to make it work. And because there was no other way. Um, It is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, What is it? Uh, uh, Something's the mother of invention. I've gone blank. Yeah. Yeah. That when the chips are down, how organisations that will often be siloed suddenly uh, find ways of working together. You mentioned your team. What was it like from for you as a leader to go from managing a team that largely would be sitting in an office mm. that you know, and, and mostly they're open plan offices. You could see everyone there. To suddenly you're working from home, they're working from home. The contacts are emails and 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 video conferencing. You know, was that a big challenge for you and what were the challenges for the team? I think from my perspective as a leader, I've always been very output focused. So it's been not, you know, how much time do you spend at your desk or how much time are you at the office? Um, It's, you know, the output that's actually delivered. My key concern was around collaboration. So ability to, for people to be able to make sure that projects could keep moving forward and collaborate. and then the mental health side of it, I knew by people being at home and in some cases in tricky situations, share flats or completely on their own, that that actually would create possible challenges as well. Um, so as a, as a leader, we put some, I, I put some things in place really, really early, which were around making sure that we connected every single morning as a team. Um, we also basically created a virtual office. So um, we would run a live team stream and you drop into what became the office. Mm. And that then gave you the ability to just have those ad hoc conversations that you were not able to have. Um, For the young ones and for the, I've, I've got a number who have interned or have come through as graduates in my team. And the challenge is around not having that learning by osmosis. And so making sure that we could provide that to them through these open channels really, really made a difference. We found that the first sort of, you know, everybody's got that adrenaline rush, right? We're working at home, we're getting everything sorted, we've got so much to do, keep going. 
And then you get to about week four or five and you go, oh, that was super exhausting. Now we've, we've just had, there is no end on the horizon. <laughs> and it was a sense when we got to about October, November, it actually that's when it started to get tough. And that's when I could see mentally keeping the momentum of the team going was, was harder. And so we, we got them back in together. Um, we got ourselves in, be it at my house or be it we were out, went out to the park, wherever we went to just allow them to connect with each other. Because some of these, and for our new starters, they'd never met half the team face to face. So um, we're now starting to go back into the office uh, one day a week, two days a week. Everybody's really enjoying it for those that are coming back in. I initially had thought, you know what, um, actually, this is sustainable. We could do it in the long term. I actually, I, I don't think that's the best for the business. I don't think it's the best for the teams or the culture. Um, humans do need contact. Mm. They need to engage other than over a Zoom, uh, a Zoom screen. So, um, and, and it does mean that for some projects that you need that ability to banter, to challenge, to pull apart ideas um, and that's that is best done face to face. And Andrew, you also have, you know, you've got your board, and you've got quite a lot of sort of uh, thought leading committees that are focused on particular areas. What was it like managing those without going into detail? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, sure. I don't want any uh, uh, board <laughs> confidences breached, but you know, just more from the point of view of engaging with sure. people because. What you want from these teams is for them to be really engaged and, and really uh, contributing and, and collaborating with each other. So it, it's interesting because um, getting once everyone had settled down, I would have it, it actually became in many ways easier because there wasn't the travel. There wasn't the need to take half an hour, 45 minutes to get from A to B. So therefore, if I needed a board call, I could get on a board call. All I needed was half an hour to an hour and they, they just they turned up. And that, from that perspective, um, made it easier to access very busy people's diaries. Um, but in terms of the working committees, which are there's a lot more debate, so if it's the regulatory or the education working committees, um, you there you do have a, a lot more debate. That was more challenging. And, um, and that's where as soon as we have now, so we've already had one live board meeting, was fantastic. I'd say everybody's reinvigoration <laughs> of being back in in the same room was quite, um, was quite phenomenal. So some really good discussions, some fantastic plans for the year ahead. Um, and that, uh, you know, and, and, and I think one of the things, if I look at the way we managed the team or the way that we managed, um, be it our, at the industry connections or the board, we got a lot out the, out of the door in 2020. There was a lot that actually uh, was launched into the market that we looked back as a team and went, "Wow, how did we actually how did we actually get that done?" Yeah. Um, so it was aside from going virtual within three days. I realised at that time we would have a lot of marketers at home who needed also, um, they needed, an, an, I suppose, an interruption or something that would feed, fuel them or fuel their capabilities. 
And one of the first things we did was touch base with, um, I reached out to Mark Ritson and talked to him about providing a program with ADMA for our marketers working from home. And, and you know, it was hugely successful because uh, you'd worked with Mark previously in our previous roles. Yeah, so you? I worked with Mark at Unilever, at Jalik, and then um, and brought some case studies to him for, with him for some, some of his clients. So, yeah, and it's... Uh, I think in terms of what he provided to us and provided to the industry, it's that strategic perspective. He is super engaging at a time when the industry needed engagement. And entertaining. 100% entertaining. It- he, yes, very entertaining, very glad that throughout the entire 12-week course he left all of his clothes on. Um, <laughs> that was great. Um, data, data week was a different story. But um, we had 1,200 people on that course okay. And we also, in addition to that, we pro bonoed. We pro bonoed to those um, th- those people who had, had stood down their teams. Yeah. And what a better time to build your capability in strategic marketing fundamentals, and also enjoy being able to throw questions to Mark, have him answer, um, and just spend you know what was meant to be three hours a week ended up being much longer. Um, and I think that we felt the energy from the industry come come from that. So that was great. He's got this terrific ability to just cut through the ball yeah, and get people straight back into the very core of what marketing's about, you know, Absolutely. which I think is so important because, you know, when people are working remotely, working from home, just having that sort of true north to Absolutely. be able to tap into. So apart from Mark and, and you know, yep. hugely successful, what would you say if you had to pick three, let's yep. say Mark's yep. one. So um, the other thing was the launch, relaunch of DataPass. So DataPass is essentially an online program for our members, um, which focuses on the areas of privacy and compliance and looking how marketers use, analyse, collect data. It basically gives the marketers a fundamental knowledge of what is going on in the privacy space. What do they need to be aware of? So we did the major re- refresh of that curriculum and relaunched it out. We had 600-odd people within the, just over the first month. It's, our members were thrilled that they had something that just gave, their, gave their, all their marketers that base understanding. So that was exciting to take out to the market and much needed because it's amazing how many gaps there actually are and the risks that that poses then to businesses by not filling those gaps and having that base understanding amongst mm-hmm. Yes, fine, you have a regulatory department, you have a legal department, but you are able to eliminate so much rework if you have the foundation set. So that was probably the second one. Um, and then we took uh, Data Day, which is a conference we've run historically um, in Melbourne, uh, and we took that virtual. And I think by that time, the last thing anyone wanted was eight hours on Zoom to listen to a virtual conference. So what we did was uh, we broke it up to lunch and learns and ran it over four four days. And that was about really giving the marketers some inspiration with that global best practice that I talked about. So it was around leading data practitioners and then providing the pragmatic tools, those actionable steps that the marketers could then use to drive the revenue, um, drive greater efficiencies within their business. And so they came away with every day with a really clear toolkit of how they could then really leverage what they do in their everyday but step it up. So that was a a bit of inspiration. Um, It was our first online conference um, and it went really, really well. So, you know, for us, when we look back, 
Ritson, Data Pass, and then Data Week. Um, and they were the key three ones. So, uh, Andrew, what I'm seeing here is a uh, CEO with a very strong marketing focus <laughs> because uh, w- as you were going through each of those, you basically looked for those things that delivered the most value to your members and the industry yeah. and found new ways of packaging it so that people could actually do it within the limitations that everyone was facing. Yeah. I mean, congratulations because <laughs> it, it's... Uh, do you think of those things that... There'll be, th- you know, it, we're all going to be vaccinated by the end of uh, 2021, and, and uh, let's hope the you know, COVID becomes like the flu yep. that uh, occasionally booster people shot. yeah a booster shot now and then. Do you think there are th- lessons that you've learnt personally, but also collectively, that you'll take forward uh, into the future? Um, priority and focus. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that environment there is no choice but to prioritise. So the proliferal had to go. So the, the and not the necessarily the nice-to-haves, because nice-to-haves are still sometimes important, but the, they're nice-to-have. They're nice-to-have. <laughs> but the sometimes being really single, sorry, being really single-minded on what it is you stand for, being really single-minded on where you are going to lean into a conversation and where you're not, because you you do need to engage this broader resource, the resource of the team of the industry, and everybody's busy. Everyone has is dealing with their own complexities and challenges within their businesses, and if you don't focus, then all of a sudden you end up with a lot of mediocrity. And for us, it was really around making sure data driven and education and our regulatory voice. They're the things that we we know that we stand for. And if we had distracted ourselves, I, I think from a team engagement, audience engagement, that would have been a problem. So, mm. you know, I, I think if I look back at 2020 and as we're heading into 2021, the way that I sort of see whether we've done the right thing is our mem- how the feedback we've had from our members, which has been phenomenal, um, but also the number of new members we've got coming on board. We've not seen anything like this since 2017. And that to me says that focus has meant that actually we're delivering the right thing. And, mm. and that ultimately, um, I think it, this type of environment, it really reinforces the importance of that. Well, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that I famously critiqued that I thought the industry had too many industry bodies. But to your point, you know, if if those industry bodies are focusing and delivering value, then, you know, they'll survive. And the ones that don't will go to the wall. And and I think that is, as we built out our plans for 2021, it is crystal clear where we need to put where we need to put our energy because that's what the industry needs from us. That's what they're asking for, um, and that it's like any brand, right? It, it's it's having that clarity of proposition and living by it, and being willing to say actually, that's not that's not a conversation we need to get involved in because that sits with someone else, and that's okay. Mm. Um, because you know, be that every submission that we make, we are very very careful that we make sure that we're adding value. To what is already there. We will review yeah. and say, okay, but what is our members' perspective and what, where are we going to add the value? And that is why we get brought in, ADMA gets brought into the roundtables with the ACCC for that reason, because we do put that very clear perspective over the top. It's probably the worst uh, marketing strategy when you're trying to drive growth by broadening your offering rather than focusing on 
what is mm. the value proposition and working out ways of delivering it better, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, if I think of, and it's it's funny, it's no different for me, it's no different to the principles I used running a consumer goods business is your core. Your mm. core is actually these innovation pieces around the outside, they're nice, but at the end of the day, they're not really what's going to deliver the step change. Getting the core of that business right, getting that to resonate with your audience um, and making sure that that is absolutely optimal and the best in the market that then um that then sets the brand and the business up for success so so i'm sitting here interested for someone that has such a you know outstanding uh career at unilever you haven't once used the word purpose (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) yeah because in many ways what you're talking about here is that 2020 gave you and adma the opportunity of really you know, looking at your purpose and working out what are the things that we need to prioritise yep. What are the things that are core to our purpose? Yep. What are the things that are nice to have? I call it surprise and delight. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you always do have to do something yes. that surprises yep. and delights people because yep. if you're always just delivering what you're meant to deliver, yep. people get a bit bored. 100%. You know, you just need to find those ways of adding a yep. bit of sparkle. Uh, a bit of you spice. There's not, yeah. nothing wrong. And I, I agree. I think what I would say is, allow the spice to be how you execute Mm. against your core purpose. So Ritson added the spice for us. So he added the spice to the education piece. Um, And, for instance, um, as we, you know, that added little element on top when we put our submissions in and that broad industry perspective, that is core. Mm. That is is core. Absolutely. It has to be. Um, But it is, yeah, I suppose it did allow us to, to... to focus and to make sure that we were so customer centric Um, because I think the the reality is that it's a tough time for markets. Markets have got a lot to navigate through. They have not only is the regulatory environment changing basically on a weekly basis, but on top of that, you know, the question on the return on investment that they're delivering, what role they play in revenue growth. So, and, the, and then how they're actually utilising all this plethora of data that they do have, all of those questions are being thrown to them. And at the same time, their customers are changing fundamentally in how they behave. It's interesting, isn't it? I think uh, you know, it, it's worthwhile and we constantly remind people that marketers actually effectively have less money today less budget today than they had 10 years ago or 20 exactly. years ago, yet they're under more demand and pressure for, produ- uh, for proving return on investment at a time when there are now more options available to them than ever before. I mean, this is really where strategy becomes so critical. You would think that terms like a strategy would be second nature, but, you know, it's when you don't have a very clear identified strategy yep that you get into all sorts of trouble because you'll chase, you know, run down rabbit warrens that lead you nowhere. And I'd also argue that they um, they have less time now. Yeah. They, they are not given the time to actually deliver the result. Um, the expectation is that every, most businesses run by quarter. You have quarterly results you have to deliver. You know, yes, fine, you, you enrol, you get a quarter to settle in. And then the expectation is to um, to be delivering from that point when in reality we know some of these changes take time. Mm. They take time to develop the strategy and then to actually go to implement it. And I think that's 
one of that's the, that additional pressure that's coming on. And when we have a look at the, the relatively short tenure of a lot of the CMOs, um, I think it's down to 22 months, that, um, that added pressure of knowing that actually having to deliver the fundamental step change in results from a strategy and a tactical plan that they have implemented that's that's a big. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot so of pressure. In the in the context of all these challenges, in the context of the lessons and the achievements of twenty twenty, what's twenty twenty one looking like for Admar and for you? So. 2021, I will be another step change in focus and but also in new initiatives, uh, new initiatives come um, coming to the market. So I think from an industry perspective, there's going to be um, many more opportunities. I think we're going to learn a lot more out of the data that's come out of 2020. I don't think we've fully mined that yet. Um, and I think from a ways of working perspective, there'll be changes that have, we've all seen affect how we work. I don't think we will go back to pre-pandemic times. There'll be a level, continued level of agility, what that looks like, balanced with collaboration. Don't know, don't know where that's going to end at. I just hope that it's, that there are some positives that will stay, such as output focus, not input focus, and ability to collaborate. So the other piece is that data will ultimately be more important than ever before. Um, understanding how we manage, how we use and respect the data is going to be our focus. Um, and also when we have a look at the regulatory agenda, which I've touched on a few times, it is substantial. But the industry's voice within crafting that and responding to that is really, really critical. Once it has been responded to and once we've got the input of some of the changes, then we need to prepare the marketers. We need to upskill them so that they actually can cope with the changes that are, that are coming. The cookies changes coming is, mm. is a prime example of that. And that's an area that we're going to double down on in terms of providing education to our members across all levels of the organisations. CMOs, so they know what their teams need to know, but then also the teams, so they've got the practical hands-on tools of what is it that they need to be implemented? How are they going to navigate through that all of a sudden driving those results we've talked about is probably going to cost 10 to 15% more. How are they going to explain that back to the business? How are we actually going to get them to start, start thinking that through? Um, then the, the other part, is, and we'll, we'll use some of the lessons we learned in 2020 around um, masterclasses. We know that the masterclass format works really, really well because it, we come in, we give concentrated learning environment with best industry best experts. And we really then give the, give the marketers something to take away with from the best of the best, small business and, um, and large, and then the, the instructors to actually give them the tools to then um, to move forward from. Then in terms of um, we will continue to work with the government and the industry to ensure that we're representing their voice on all things privacy and data management. So we've got submissions into the digital advertising services inquiring. Um, we're going to have to provide member guidance around what's happening with the consumer data right, the news media bargaining code, um, and then cookies, as I talked about, but importantly, the Privacy Act review. Yes. What happens from there? Um, there'll be phenomenal changes coming. We need to arm the marketers to be able to manage those and, and embed those. 
So that's from a sort of a regulatory front. Um, education front, I'd say what we've what ADMA has coming is one of the most exciting things for me as a as a marketer, and that is around um, our skills assessment tool. So what that essentially is is we're recognising that as an industry, we need to continue to capability build, the marketer of the future. And we need to give the industry a view of where is their team? Where are they as an individual sitting today? And where what's it going to take in terms of skills to move move forward? So, And that's an area that, you know, particularly for us, because a lot of the work we're doing these days is actually helping marketers. How do we restructure? How do they restructure? How do they realign? their teams within the organisation, but also what are the capabilities they need? So, you know, we're very excited that uh, this is going to be relaunched. Well, is it very it's, soon? Isn't well, it? it is. It's coming in. Um, it's coming in April. Um, well, let's just say sometime <laughs> in twenty twenty one. Let's let's not lock ourselves into no. a particular date because <laughs> my team getting, will have a no, but also getting it right yes, is essential. You know, if you don't, this is not something you can beat no. a test. You know, no, because it's going to have a huge impact on individuals and the way that they evolve their careers and their capabilities. And I think that is in the, in the development of it, what we are doing is absolutely making sure that that industry voice from cross industries, um, across industry pillars in terms of what are the capabilities now, where are they heading, what are we seeing? And it's not only, it's not only in the strategic, um, in the tactical spaces, but it's also in mm. the strategic place. Because to your earlier point, without the foundation of strategy, the tactics then become largely irrelevant now. Yeah. So looking at the marketer as a whole and really then making sure that for the teams, for the departments, for the individuals, where are their gaps, where are their strengths, um, and making sure that they have a clear path forward. I, I was fortunate that I had a similar tool many years ago at Unilever where we had a clear view within the Unilever framework. But this is within the industry framework across B2B, be it from you know consumer goods through to B2B, um, uh, really understanding what's it going to take, where mm. do you sit as a marketer, and where do your teams sit? And so it's yeah, hugely yeah. exciting. Andrea, I think there's a lot of uh, marketers out there that are going to love this because one of the things that seem to got, get lost in the last 10 years is this sense of career momentum, you know, that you went into a specialty area. You know, I, I, I often run into marketers that go, well, I'm a performance marketer, and I go, Sorry, everyone's a performance marketer, or I'm a brand marketer, or I'm a digital marketer. Yep. What, you know, there's all these different channels, yep. and yet marketing as a discipline has a very clear foundation, but then there are skills that you build on top of that foundation, aren't there? Absolutely, and I think that is one of the reasons we've actually approached this from a competencies perspective, not a um, job title perspective. Yeah, good. Because the re the reality is that job title, there's an infinite, infinite number of, but it's this foundation principle of what does it take to be an amazing marketer? Mm. Yes, you can have strength and expertise in specific areas, but there's the foundational piece. There's the, as you develop up from be it from your marketing graduate right through to your CMO, um, what are the key building blocks? And um, it's a, it, we've, we're really looking forward in terms of now just taking, we've got some key um, industry partners to work with to really give that input, to mm. make sure that we've, we're looking at it from a holistic perspective 
and um, and to challenge. Yeah. And and I think it'll be an evolving tool. This for us is it has as to be as the industry evolves, you know, and yeah. as technology changes yeah. things, and you know, it, it, it's not something to set and forget. Just as no one's career is set no. and forget. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> hey, look, this uh, that that is a huge agenda. I mean, uh, please don't be exhausted already. I'm, I'm feeling like I need a good lie down now after hearing all those things that you're taking on. It's going to be a, a phenomenal year. It, it will be. A big year, um, but I think in terms of us making sure that we continue to deliver what the industry needs, and um, I'm fortunate I've got an amazing team, amazing team of experts um, who are really capable of delivering this, and collaborators back in the industry have put some great partners together, and I think we're we're in a in a really good place to have a fabulous 2021. So to support the members as they need supporting. Mm. Well, look, it, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you for uh, making the time and dropping by. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been really fantastic. Um, I have got a question, um, and that is, do you think there'll ever be a time that Admar will actually go to market and do an advertising campaign to explain to consumers why they should give their data to advertisers? Mm-hmm.